So I want to pray, and I want to jump into our topic for today. So let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you for, for your goodness, for your love, for your spirit. And I thank you for the Papa Church and the lasting impact it had on our lives. And I thank you for the Boulder Church and the remarkable history and the things that have taken place here and the way this place has been a, a faithful place where your spirit has been. Lord, we're, we're trying to figure out now and what you would have us be as a community in this time. It's after COVID. Everything has changed. What does it mean now? Help us as we continue this journey. In Jesus' name, amen. So I want to begin today with a passage we touched on last Sabbath, um, Revelation chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary, yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. It's easy in churches for things to go missing. And this church of Ephesus was a wonderful place and was doing great things, but the Lord had an issue and he wrote this letter to the community and said, yes, but there's something missing. You've lost that first love. Not every community will have the same diagnosis. Not every community has the same issues. There are seven letters to the churches, and we're going to actually look at some different ones in the weeks ahead. But sometimes something goes missing. 2 Timothy chapter 3 Beginning with verse 1, but mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. So there's this long list of the reality of, of the world in the last days. But then, then he adds another comment that kind of bridges from that, but all of a sudden hits a little closer to home within the church. And he says these words, having a form of godliness, but denying its power. Having a form of godliness, but denying its power. He says, have nothing to do with such people. So here's the question I want to ask in the context of that passage. Is it possible for the church to look godly without actually having the power of God within it? What might that look like? So we're moving through these five questions. 
Do you want me here? We spent two weeks on that. Do you love me? We spent two weeks on that. Today we begin a new topic. Is the Lord with you? Now we're going to cover, we're going to begin that topic today. And then next Sabbath is going to be a different kind of Sabbath. And I really hope you will be here next Sabbath. This is a very important Sabbath. Alicia's going to lead out. And Pastor Jay is going to be a big part of this. And we're going to facilitate some interaction. I've been asking you these questions, but not giving anyone an opportunity to answer. Next Sabbath, you will have some opportunity to do that. So I hope you will be here next Sabbath. It will be a very interesting day and a little different from what we normally do, but a very important day, I believe, in this series and in this process. But today we introduce this question, is the Lord with you? After that, we will move on to do you have a purpose? And Pastor Jay is going to play a big part in this question. And is there a place for me in that purpose? And he'll also have a big part of that. But for today, what is or what are the indicators that the Lord is with us? Good doctrine? Well, good doctrine is certainly not a counterindicator. Good doctrine doesn't say the Lord isn't with you. But is it proof? that the Lord is with us. How about a large attendance? Again, that's a good sign. But is it for sure an indicator? How about tons of programming? Well, that's very useful. But what does it prove? How about a beautiful building? Well, a beautiful building is nice, But based on the early church, a beautiful building is probably the least indicator of whether the Lord is with you, because the early church didn't even have buildings. So what is the indicator, or what are the indicators? Well, I'm not going to answer that just yet. Instead, a Bible story. Exodus chapter 32 Exodus chapter 32, verse 1. When the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said, Come, make us gods who will go before us. For this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. Moses has gone up on Mount Sinai. There's fire, there's smoke, there's lightning. He's been gone 40 days. And the people are like, yeah, I'm tired of waiting. I don't have any idea what happened to this Moses guy. Come make us gods who will go before us. And this is the whole golden calf story. And Aaron builds this golden calf at the foot of Mount Sinai right after God had spoken the Ten Commandments to the people. And even as Moses is up on the mountain receiving the tablets. Verse 7, then the Lord said to Moses, go down because, notice how he words this, go down because your people whom you brought up out of Egypt have become corrupt. They have been quick to turn away from what I commanded them and have made themselves an idol cast in the shape of a calf. They have bowed down to it and sacrificed to it and have said, these are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. 
I have seen these people, the Lord said to Moses, and they are a stiff-necked people. Now leave me alone so that my anger may burn against them and that I may destroy them. Then I will make you into a great nation. But Moses sought the favor of the Lord his God. Lord, he said, why should your anger burn against your people whom you brought out of Egypt with great power and a mighty hand? See how Moses turns that back? God said, hey, your people have messed up. And Moses says, "Uh uh-uh, they're yours. Why should the Egyptians say it was with evil intent that he brought them out to kill them in the mountain and to wipe them off the face of the earth? Turn from your fierce anger. Relent and do not bring disaster on your people. Remember your servants Abraham, Isaac, and Israel to whom you swore by your own self. I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and I will give your descendants all this land I promised them and it will be their inheritance forever. Then the Lord relented and did not bring on his people the disaster he had threatened. Now, this is language we're not used to. And this is a way of thinking we don't often employ in our day. The notion of of the disobedience of the people bringing them into an endangered reality with a holy God. We jump ahead to chapter 33, verse 1. Then the Lord said to Moses, Leave this place, you and the people you brought up out of Egypt. They're still going back and forth on that. You and the people you brought up out of Egypt and go up to the land I promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, I will give it to your descendants. I will send an angel before you and drive out the Canaanites, Amorites, Hittites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. Go up to the land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go with you. Because you are a stiff-necked people, and I might destroy you on the way. It's a fascinating passage, isn't it? Here's a question. Have we lived with the reality of grace for so long that we have forgotten that God is a consuming fire? Isaiah chapter 33. Isaiah 33, verse 13. You who are far away, hear what I have done. You who are near, acknowledge my power. The sinners in Zion are terrified. Trembling grips the godless. Who of us can dwell with the consuming fire? Who of us can dwell with everlasting burning? Those who walk righteously and speak what is right who reject gain from extortion and keep their hands from accepting bribes, who stop their ears against plots of murder and shut their eyes against contemplating evil. They are the ones who will dwell on the heights, whose refuge will be the mountain fortress. Their bread will be supplied and water will not fail them. These are not the kind of passages we dwell on. These are not the kind of words we think about. We... We tend more in this direction. Lamentations, chapter 3, verses 22 and 23. 
Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. So how do we bring the fullness of this, of all of these words together, the mercies, the compassions, yet in the context of our God is a consuming fire? Well, let me pose this question a different way. Based on our behavior, to what extent can the Lord safely be amongst us? You ever think about that question? Based on our behavior, to what extent is it safe for the consuming presence of the Lord to be in our midst? Exodus 33 again, verse 3. Go up to the land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go with you because you are a stiff-necked people and I might destroy you on the way. When the people heard these distressing words, they began to mourn and no one put on any ornaments. For the Lord had said to Moses, tell the Israelites, you are a stiff-necked people. If I were to go with you even for a moment, I might destroy you. Now take off your ornaments and I will decide what to do with you. So the Israelites stripped off their ornaments at Mount Horeb. Now here's what I want you to note in this. God is still promising them the promised land. Do you see that in this? He says, go ahead. I promised it. You can have it. Go up to the land. But I'm not going to go with you because I'm not sure you'll survive if I do. Because you are a stubborn people. So let's ask maybe an impertinent question. Could it be that God is still promising all of us eternal life, but he just can't be powerfully in our midst because we're not actually yielded to him? You see, we have this tendency of associating everything with the concept of saved or lost. Everything is saved or lost, whether I'm saved or lost. And maybe God's saying to us, you're saved, but you're also pretty unrighteous. And it's really hard for my spirit to work through you when that's true. What do you think of that? Now, I know this is a risky line of thinking, for it is prone to outbreaks of soul-crushing legalism. Yet there are two ditches to the road we travel. Legalism for sure is one of them, but what is the other ditch? Could it be that the other ditch is powerless Christianity? A people who have lost their first love, people so used to being around Jesus that they carelessly bump into him but are never healed. Now this comes from a story. The story of, do you remember the story of Jesus? Jairus says, come, my daughter is dying. And so Jesus is moving through the crowd and there's a crush of crowd and everyone's around him and there's a, there's a woman there with an issue of blood and she slips up behind Jesus and just touches the hem of his garment and she's healed because she comes in faith and reaches and touches in faith. And Jesus says, who touched me? 
And the disciples are like, what do you mean who touched you? Everybody touched you. Yes, everybody touched Jesus, but only one woman was healed. Have we become like the crowd around Jesus? We're so used to him being here. We're bumping into him all the time, but no healing power comes from him because we bump without expectation, because we enter his presence without awareness of his glory, because he has to hold in the consuming fire lest we be consumed do we lit- do we want the literal presence of the power of the lord with us or are we content to just ride this out to the end of time or the end of our lives whichever comes first do we really want the power of god in us be careful how you answer this But as you answer, consider this thought. Why would anyone who's not a part of this community want to come and be a part of it if the power of God isn't here? Exodus 33, verse 12. Moses said to the Lord, You have been telling me, lead these people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You have said, I know you by name, and you, and you have found favor with me. If you are pleased with me, teach me your ways so I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. There he goes again, back and forth. The Lord replied, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Then Moses said to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you have asked because I am pleased with you and I know you by name. So in this conversation, Moses says, if you're not coming, don't send us. Because how will the world know that we are your people if they cannot see you in our midst? Is it any wonder that the world stands by and looks at the all too frequent impotence impotence of the church and says to itself, why? Why would I want to be a part of that? Yet the early church in the days of Acts, when the presence of the Spirit was clearly manifest regularly, Scripture says, daily were added to their number those who were being saved. In our day, we struggle to even get people's attention much less bring them to Jesus. Right now, the most sought-after thing in this building by our community is our bathrooms. I don't say that negatively. I mean, at least they appreciate those. We've had the opportunity to open that space, and they've come and used them. But, But 
I'm, I'm afraid a few too many people in our community might say, oh, the bathroom church. Is that what we're known for? The second most sought after thing is this platform, but not when we're on it. The orchestra comes and plays here, does beautiful music. The third sought after thing just got installed this week. New picnic tables. Now, again, I'm not saying negative things about this. This is fabulous. We should have these things. They, they answer the question, do you want me here? They might give us the opportunity to answer the question, do you love me? But is there another question? None of these comments is designed to beat us up or make us feel bad. It's this way nearly everywhere. But for today, I want to challenge us. Is it possible some of the issue is that it just isn't obvious that the Lord is with us? What would that even look like? There's a passage that arrests me every year when I read it. So as I go through my Bible reading plan, I come on this passage once a year, and it's from the book of Zechariah, and you heard it earlier. Zechariah chapter 8, beginning in verse 20. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Many peoples and the inhabitants of many cities will yet come, and the inhabitants of one city will go to another and say, let us go at once to entreat the Lord and seek the Lord Almighty. I myself am going, and many peoples and powerful nations will come to Jerusalem and seek the Lord Almighty and to entreat him. This is what the Lord Almighty says. In those days, ten people from all languages and nations will take firm hold of one Jew by the hem of his robe and say, let us go with you because we have heard that God is with you. What impact might something like that have on our community? What if it became a common understanding within this community on this hill or even within this town that people said, we have heard that the Lord is with you. How would that even happen? Are we too in danger of having a form of godliness, but not the power? Doctrines, but no disciples. Attendance, but no alleluias. Programs, but no professions of faith. Beautiful buildings, but bereft of the glory of God. Exodus 33, these words, they echo in my mind. Then Moses said to the Lord, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with us and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? The church is supposed to be filled with the presence of the Lord. The members of the church are supposed to be filled with the Holy Spirit. 
It's supposed to come out of us in the form of love and kindness. And dare I say, wonders. I invite the band to come back. They may be a little nervous to come back at this point, so encourage them. What was Jesus' name that the angel said he would be called? Do you remember? Emmanuel? What does Emmanuel mean? God with us. Do you remember Revelation chapter 21 at the end of all things, what it says? Now the dwelling of God is with man. There's only one end of this relationship that is holding God off. And it's not his side. It's on our side. And so I want to give you a challenge this week. As we head into next Sabbath, as we head into the discussion, that each of us would reflect on our own lives and on our corporate lives. And, in, and here's what I want you to reflect on. In what ways are we grieving the Spirit and driving away the presence we, both, we most desire? I can think of a few ways in my own life. I can think of some choices that I make that make me less receptive to the presence of the Holy Spirit. What should we do about it? How much are we like the Israelites? He's been up there 40 days. How fast do we turn? How loyal are we to the Lord? How committed to his cause and his purpose? How badly do we want the presence of God with us? Or do we just want to ride this out? He's promised us eternal life. We just ride this out. Do you want to ride it out? Or do you want to be in a community filled with the power of the Holy Spirit? Where certain people are afraid to come in the doors because the power of the Spirit, the minute you open that door and walk in, is so strong, you're like, wow, I'm not sure I'm ready for transformation. Can that even happen anymore? The Lord longs to be with us. Do we want him here? How much consuming fire can we endure? Are you ready to be filled with the power of God? Do you even want Emmanuel in your life. We talked about at the beginning how it all starts not with our love for God, but with His love for us. Not with our desire to be reconnected with Him, but it was because God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. God has made the first move. God desires to be that power within us. But we have to choose this. 
is the Lord with us? How would we know? 